Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Grow With Soul. In today's coaching episode, I'm talking with Hira Samir Ahmed, an artist with a multi-passionate creative practice and creativity coach. Hira is finding that she worries she confuses her audience by having lots of different artistic projects on the go and can feel like a jack of all trades. And all of this is a block to getting paying customers. Through this episode, we really unpick this, thinking about how to own your status as a multi-passionate creative and bring everything together so it makes sense, how to talk about your product more often and also realising how many of your worries are caused by what you see others doing and therefore cultivating self-trust. There was a little bit of crackle on the line during my call with Hera, but it does get better the more we go on. So do try to bear with it because there's good stuff in here. So let's dig in. Hi Hira, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It would be great if you could fill us in on who you are, and on what you do and the sort of story of how you've got to where you are now really. I guess I will have to start from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I always loved to write, paint, draw and as a kid I loved the feeling of materials, textures, colors. And uh, I always thought that I was going to be an artist. But growing up, I learned that how becoming an artist professionally isn't on the expected list. I learned how we see art as a luxury instead of oh, as a, either as a luxury or as a hobby, uh, but not as a real career. So I ended up choosing rather a safer route and I studied product design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I graduated as a product designer, um, during that process, I learned that my approach to creativity was quite interdisciplinary. I like to experiment and challenge even with the materials, techniques, and intermingle different things that aren't, that aren't supposed to be there and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, after my graduation, I started working for the corporate world. That's what you do. You get a job. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, while working for the corporate world, I remember changing my job title for at least four times because I wasn't sure that this is my one thing that I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. And I was in search of that one, but I couldn't find it. My last job was kind of the perfect dream job, but it wasn't my perfect dream job. So in that time period, my husband started his master's here in Copenhagen, Denmark. I'm from Bison, So we decided to move here. When I did move here, I had nothing else to lose. I always wanted to try something that I deeply cared about, but I never had the courage to start it. And now I had all the time in my hands to do something Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we were starting fresh. And that's how I started working on building this online venture. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, that, that was the problem that I didn't know my one thing even at that point. So... What I tried doing instead was that I accepted that I love following my curiosity instead. So I started building a blog around that. 
uh, I accepted that I'm a multi-passionate creative. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it, it was kind of a revelation for my own self that um, I don't have to be just one thing. I can just simply follow along and see where it leads me. And I was hoping that it will lead me towards the creative freedom that I long for and the creative fulfillment that I ache for. And uh, this is when I started writing my personal stories in in the form of newsletters and started building a community. I was sharing my photographs and writings on Instagram. And this is how it all came to be. While I was learning how to build an online presence and online business, I, I got in touch with a lot of other wonderful creative human beings online. And I was getting into the idea because I had so much things to say to them while we were uh, talking. So I proposed an idea that if they would be interested, we can hop on a call together. And if my creativity coaching, if they find it helpful, they can maybe give me uh, an honest feedback and a testimony for my website because I was really enjoying those conversations. And this is how I came up with the idea of creativity coaching. And when I did, I learned there were so many other people who were doing it. <laughs> so, but um, I think this is just me living my truth out loud. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is how I like to put it. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's one of those things. So you, had you, when you sort of started to do the creativity coaching, did you was that the point at which you started to see lots of other coaches or were you already kind of aware of them by then? Honestly, I was not quite sure that if anybody else was doing it. And this is why I didn't know if it was real. But when I did start asking people to, and in the beginning, I was asking them to hop on a call together free of cost. And when I did start doing that, I was Googling creativity coaching. And <laughs> if they, because I wanted to see if this was the real thing. Yeah. And then found out that there are other people who are doing it. Mm. that's so interesting that it kind of you came up with it almost in a vacuum like not really knowing that other people were doing it but you still came up with the same thing that other people were doing which I think is quite nice that it sort of shows that it wasn't the case that you're like oh that's what everyone else is doing so I'll just do it you came up with the thing that was felt like the right thing to be doing Right, yeah. But um, I think in the beginning, I was so scared to even claim it that I want to be a coach because, you know, I was thinking maybe I don't have the right education to be a coach. But then with time and with my experience of connecting with others, I learned that my own story of how I have been dealing with all that mindset, the creative mindset and all that goes into building a creative working life practice that works for you I have a lot of things to say (laughs) (laughs) okay so we've got the creative coaching and that's all sort of happened very organically which is great and you're using that to give yourself the creative freedom that you wanted so what is it that you're finding to be a struggle at the moment I would say that as, as a multi-passionate creative, I find it really hard to come across as professional. What I really want to say is I feel like I come across as flaky. And, right. I, personally, <laughs> and I personally feel like a jack of all trades mm-hmm. and master of none, and which is something that I don't want to feel. <laughs> yeah. 
so I, I want to make my creative ventures sustainable enough to allow me to keep creating and experimenting and experiencing that kind of creative freedom along the way. But the problem is, I wonder if I'm confusing my audience. Mm-hmm. I keep coming up and keep working on new exciting ideas and new exciting projects. But I wonder if I'm making it hard for people to really trust <laughs> whatever it is I'm doing, I'm not going to give give up on on it Mm. does it make sense that does make sense and so it's the the reason that you're doing this right is so that you can explore all these different creative avenues but that also doesn't lend itself to a kind of consistency of message where you're just like talking about the same thing the whole time because you're always doing the different things and there is an element of that that always means that it's going to be difficult for people to kind of latch on to an ongoing story because there's always like new characters coming in and now we're over here and now we're over there and it's a kind of oh well I I just don't really know what's happening here it's um but I don't think that that means that you can't you can't have both right so um I think my first question is when you're talking about feeling flaky and sharing all the new different projects where does the coaching fit into that? Because is it that you don't really talk about the coaching very much and then you occasionally talk about the coaching and then it goes off for a while and then you talk about it loads? Or does that kind of live like a red thread through everything? The honest I mean? answer would mm. be, yeah, the <laughs> honest answer would be that I don't talk about it real much. Sometimes I get the real energy to talk about it and other times I... I I do actually mention it in my newsletter con- with consistency, but I don't really talk about it anywhere else. <laughs> mm. And so, would you say that your newsletter is the place where most most people are, or is it like, oh, I speak to five people on my newsletter, but then the two thousand on Instagram never see anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a, it's a it's a good mix. Uh, on both sides I do mention about I want to say I do mention about it once in a while mm-hmm. <laughs> on Instagram as well but yeah I, I personally know that I don't mention it enough so <laughs> mm. and presumably I'll, I'll join everything up but with the the audience that you want to talk to and the person that you want to coach is having a multi-passionate creative practice a thing that they are seeking Exactly, yes. Yeah. So that shouldn't be too confusing for people if they can kind of see, oh, well, that's that's what I want, right? So that, that it's not like you, you're trying to coach people to have like a, a singular focus business or whatever and then you're over here doing all these different things. It's, it is still aligned. So I think that what the, the problem is really is making sure that the the art practice and the coaching are joined together and that the one kind of demonstrates the other. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. I see what you mean, Mm. yeah. Because what you're doing is, and this is something that I talk about um, a lot, particularly in the kind of coaching and service space, is modelling the result that people want you know people who are kind of thinking oh maybe I need to just do one thing or I need to focus on this one part of my art practice or they they really want to have that creative freedom but they've got no models to look to for 
somebody who's doing that and then they can get that in you and then within that there is also and I can coach you to a place where you can get to here and I think that's the bit that's probably missing in the more public side of things and actually perhaps even tying them together even more because I wonder whether you mentioned the coaching over here and then completely separate to all of that is oh and here's what I'm doing in my art practice whereas actually if you kind of say Uh, this is what I'm doing in my art practice and this is something that I could teach you to do because this is how I've gone about making space for this new project and that this is the process that I took and this is something that I could help you with. That joins it all together in a really explicit way because I think sometimes we are a little bit subtle about things because we know it so well, you know, it's our lives, we're living it, we don't need to really go into depths of how we're explaining it, but people on the outside sometimes need it to be really put there in black and white. Right, right, I think you you just hit the nail there, because on, on the head there, because in my head, these are two separate things, but I don't, now I can see that I don't really do a good job of explaining or tying it all together for other people, because for me, it's quite obvious. Yeah. And it is obvious to us because we are the ones that see every single thing that we put out and it, and it comes from us. So it's all joined together in our own heads and we're seeing everything. So we think, oh, well, that all makes sense. But for people who maybe see like one in three Instagram posts and a newsletter or they only see the Instagram posts and they don't have the newsletter because they didn't see the Instagram post where you talked about the newsletter, there are going to be big gaps and it is going to seem like it is. it might jump around a little bit more because they're not seeing the whole picture. So it's kind of making sure that while all the marketing that you're putting out is a piece of a whole, it's that you don't need to see absolutely everything to get it and that there's always some sort of call to action or link back to how everything ties together so that people who are only seeing part of the picture can still make sense of it do you think if i say multi-passionate i don't know i personally feel this term i the places i've seen it being used aren't the their content doesn't really resonate with me so i wonder if i keep using this term multi-passionate if it is resonating with the kind of people i want to work with yeah so where are you seeing it that it doesn't resonate with you i want to say i see it on the places where hustle hard is the mm-hmm. um, <laughs> narrative. Mm. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I know what you mean. I see, I'm in two, I always, I'm kind of in two minds about this, because, especially with terminology, because there are some ways where, like, that's just the word, right? <laughs> and there is not another word. But also you can think about things where if you're, if it's a word that you're, target client is going to be really drawn to you have to use it almost as like a neon open sign because they'll see it and be like oh that's then it's just that reaction that they have and then you can re-educate them into your own kind of style of multi-passionate so we talk about the sales funnel so you would use multi-passionate at the top of the funnel to get people paying attention to you And then as they move further down in the rest of your content, you kind of stop using that term so much if it doesn't sit with you and even making a kind of point of why that doesn't sit with you and what you'd prefer to call it. But right at that top level where you're trying to attract people in, 
if you're using your kind of own term, it's not going to really make any sense to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense now. Because, yeah, it's one of those things where it is, and I kind of get it, a li- I can't think of an example, but I do know what you mean, that if you sort of see people using a term that you're like, I need to use that term, but they've just put all this context on it that I don't want to have as well. But it is, it is one of those things where it will absolutely help tie that story together because if you're trying to skirt around the outside of using that word you're still you're not being obvious about what it is whereas if you kind of say I don't know in your Instagram bio or something that you are a multi-passionate creative then it make then they even they scroll down into the feed it's like oh yeah it makes sense that there's lots of different projects on the go because that's the point of it yeah so it, it's I get what you mean it's making sure that you're not bringing the right a certain context to the work that you don't want to have but also making sure that people are getting it Mm -hmm. and I think the words that you use around multi-passionate will help as well so you've got things like courage and creativity and slowly and intentionality and all those words will help to take the the hustle context away from multi-passionate so if you say you're a intentional multi-passionate creative cultivating courage and creativity that has a different feel to it already Mm -hmm. got it (laughs) (laughs) because that's the thing there's probably a lot of people looking for that sort of model where they are there may be all the the all the multi-passionate how many times can we use that word um all the multi-passionate people they're seeing aren't resonating with them that to be to use that word but use it very confidently in that I'm taking back this word is a really great thing for for you but also for them because they think oh I can I can have this in the way that I want to have it right yeah that actually puts me on the map (laughs) yeah in a different way yeah yeah just because other people are using a word in a certain way doesn't mean it actually helps you to kind of stand out in the middle of it I guess kind of like with me and marketing because I haven't used a different word for marketing I sit in that kind of group of online marketing people but within that group I'm very different by virtue of being surrounded by people who are more in the kind of hustle hard rhetoric of talking about it that helps me to actually stand out more because it's such a contrast next to the people around me right you're so right yeah Mm. So does that make you feel a bit better about multi-passionate? <laughs> <laughs> it does, actually. <laughs> mm. So I think that's a that's a good thing to start thinking about is like, I don't want to say owning your space, but to, to kind of be like, where, who am I in this space and own that? So rather than kind of think, oh, I can't use this because they use this and I can't do that because that means something else. It's like, okay, let me just build up a stall for myself and I'm going to make this exactly what I need it to be regardless of what other people are doing and just let that be enough and just really own this because I feel that that might be part of it if you are starting to look around a little bit more at what other people are doing that's always good to do to know where you fit in with everything but it can go too far very easily where you then start to just do nothing <laughs> or you you kind of compromise what you feel you want to say and do because you're worried about all the other stalls that are going on around you rather than just like this is it this is me this is what I stand for this is what we do and we're not really looking at anyone else mm-hmm. yeah 
I think it's really about me redefining it for myself as well. Mm. And as well for the people that I want to work with. Yeah, you're right. Mm. When we ask this as a different question, do you feel that looking at what other people are doing is a problem for you anyway? Or is that not kind of in your consciousness? It was a problem when I was starting out, but now I'm very conscious about the information I uh, I take in. So I try not to consciously look at the competition or anyone who's doing something quite similar to me because I think it kind of in, end up influencing me and I kind I end up doubting what I'm doing. So I try not to, and I try to look for inspiration or ideas outside. Yeah, no, that's good. I know because I th- I think listening to you talk that's what I'm getting a little bit is that there might be just a little bit of a hangover of that experience because what you said about feeling like a jack of all trades I wonder whether you would feel like that if you didn't see all these other people who have got their one thing and they're just doing their one thing like maybe that's what is informing that feeling because when you feel you're thinking oh everybody else has got this one thing and I'm doing all these different things that then affects the way that you talk about that, right? Because you've got that little doubt in the back of your head that you're not quite doing this right, in inverted commas, right? <laughs> you think, oh, everybody else is doing it a bit different to me, and I and you, you don't kind of communicate it as confidently, or you almost approach the way that you talk about it apologetically because you're sort of like, oh, I'm doing it like this, but it might not be right. Whereas actually to kind of think, yeah, I'm not I'm not following one thing, but that doesn't mean I'm a master of none. It means it means that I have a different version of how to do this and that's valuable. And I'm gonna own that and I'm gonna talk about it really confidently because all these other people are just saying we need one thing and I actually fundamentally disagree with that. And I think that's that I mean, does that resonate with you? It does, actually, yeah. I think I deeply do believe it, but I don't I haven't really quite accepted it publicly yet. Yeah. Yeah, there's and that's what I, I think and that's almost more difficult to own and accept the things that you believe in the face of what other people say is right. So you fundamentally think, yeah, you know, it's absolutely right that I should have this multi passionate creative practice that is what I feel in my bones is a purposeful intentional way of living and creating but it's hard to stand up for those when you can't see anybody else doing it the same way that you are and that's when the doubts start to to land and to be the person at the kind of forefront of that is is difficult and so it's really a lot of a self-trust exercise to keep saying I need to wave the flag for this so that other people can come and follow it yeah I mean that that feels like a lot of responsibility but I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's more about knowing that you're okay and that this is okay this is good this is right this is how it's all flowing it this is this comes from what I believe about what how I want to live and I think other people want this as well and that what a what an opportunity to really stand out for something that I really truly believe in right yeah and I think it is also because for me as a customer it is really important to see the the thing other person believes modeled in their like if they're walking the talk that's what is important for me so 
I think this is something that I think about very often that I'm walking the talk. Yeah. I have to also communicate it to my audience. I've... Yeah, you're probably doing more walking than talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that might be that might be what it is is that you're doing a lot of walking. Um but there's not quite as much talking about it to to kind of make it make sense. <laughs> So it's probably bringing those levels up to the same way and that every time that you're you're walking the walk, make sure that you're also talking about what that walk means. I mean, maybe getting a bit too into the metaphor there, but um, that, uh, yeah, you've it's it's really good to walk the walk, but there does have to be, sometimes you have to explicitly say things <laughs> to people for them to get it. Um, yeah, and, and have that, that awareness of pe- where people are coming in to your work all the time that yes there's going to be people who have been following for a while but there's also new people coming in and people whose friend has mentioned something and that there's there has to always be an in for people rather than just oh well this is halfway through some sort of project and I don't I missed the beginning and now I don't really know what's happening right yeah do, do you think me not talking enough about it is one of the reasons that I don't see myself getting any buying customers. I think, I mean, that always, it always helps to talk about what you've got. (laughs) Um, I think, yes, because if there's not a clear call to action for people, they're not going to take an action. And especially with things like a coaching service, which is a considered purchase from the point of view that it's a more more expensive than you know buying a five pound workbook, right? But also it's a time investment for them and a relationship investment for them. So they have to. It takes a long time for them to consider a whether they can afford it, b whether they've got the time to commit to it, c whether you're somebody they can imagine having a conversation with every two weeks for six months or however long it is. So there's all these different considerations that go into it, and if you're not through through the time that they're making that consideration if you're not giving them things that kind of answers those doubts um that really models what a conversation with you would be like that shows kind of the sort of exercises that you would get people to do to help them get to that point perhaps talking a little bit about time management how you manage to have the different projects because that's probably something that would be a doubt for people is oh I can't have this creative practice because I just don't have time well you can show a way that you can help them find the time so all those things where they're they're doing that consideration they're probably not getting very far down the track because they're not getting from you the reminder of this is something that I can help you do and this is how I will help you do it and they can get to a point where they think you know what I think it's possible for me but now I need the help the one-to-one help to do it so yeah I think that if it's more that you kind of occasionally apologetically say oh you can hire me to be your coach that's not enough to help them make the decision right it it introduces to new people that you've got that product but it's if they've they've already heard that three times and they're still like oh yeah well I don't know if I've got the time don't know if I can afford it don't know if I'm worth it you know all those different doubts that people have when they're deciding to invest in themselves that's really what the real work has got to be through your marketing 
is to help them get to a point where they they can no longer tell themselves they've not not got any reasons to not do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so much sense. Yeah. And so is that something that you feel that you've perhaps not been doing quite so much? Actually, uh, last year I I was quite consistently mentioning it, but my audience has grew after that, and also because I personally think. I invested in a coach after following her work for more than a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it takes time if you are yeah. willing to make such an investment in a person. So I think it is about showing up consistently. Meanwhile, when whenever um, until the other person is really ready to uh, work with you. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it is about when you're trying to grow as a coach and you are trying to grow organically. It is what uh, what it is. It takes time. Mm. And I imagine as well if I think this is what's always really good is if you've hired somebody or you've you've bought a product that's similar to the thing that you want to bring out is to look at what got you to that point of being ready to buy because the coach that you worked with it wasn't that she mentioned like two or three times by the way you could hire me to be your coach right it was every newsletter had a story about how she was working with clients that month or you know a a particular thing that resonated with you like maybe how she'd got herself out of a a fix or you know a business problem that she'd worked out and so even though it wasn't always really obvious you can hire me you can hire me it was modeling that experience and that that was kind of planting in your head oh if somebody else she did this and actually that sounds like something that I could need help with so that was a, a little tick on the list right and there's all those little little ticks that get you to a point where you can no longer talk yourself out of it and actually you really want it and yes that takes time but it also takes just the consistency of every time that you say something you're relating it back to your offering and that and I think when we say that out loud it sounds like you're constantly selling and being really pushy but it's not it's just it's using examples in a lot of ways of you know this is and really thinking about what is something that this person is struggling with and how can I use an example from my coaching work or my actual work my real life work that can demonstrate this a little bit more and it just kind of chipping away at those doubts they've got Right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in my newsletters, I try to write about my own creative process or my own current struggles that I, any new project that I'm working on and whatever it is that I'm going through and how I'm um, making it to the other side. Because I don't really have enough. Um, I have already <laughs> used uh, the, the stories that I had from uh, offering my coaching services uh, for free. Mm-hmm. And then I and I personally really enjoy writing and exploring my own creative process and sharing how whatever is going on in my head, how I am dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I write about in my newsletters. Yeah, I think that's really good because especially with it, with coaching and this kind of thing, that it's the way that you think that's important to people. That's what they got. They That's kind of what they're really buying is your way of dealing with things that will help them to see things in a new light. So that to kind of show your thought process through a problem and out the other side is really great. Um, And it's probably then a case of maybe just a few little explicit sentences in there of maybe even saying things like, 
if I was my own coaching client, what would I have said to myself? And then writing it all out. And I took an exercise that I talked through with such and such and did that. And I think, I know that you feel that you've exhausted the stories from the initial ones, but you you can recycle them. And it also doesn't, you don't have to kind of, you can just say, I spoke with somebody about this. And it doesn't have to be like you put their name and their age and all that kind of thing you know it's it does it can just be quite general because it doesn't have to be it's the story that's important and the 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 example that's important rather than exactly who it was that you were talking to about it so I think you just recycle some of that old stuff that you might have used before but just putting it in a new context and or even you know oh this made me think of something that I spoke to a client about last year um, and I thought about how I would have tackled it differently now. Those kind of things where just because you've used the content before, you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel over and over. If it was a really good example, then keep using it because people are still going to be having that issue. Right, yeah. I think I just needed to hear that as a permission slip that I can (laughs) recycle it. Exactly. I I think that's the thing as well. We always think we have to do something new the whole time. (laughs) Whereas we all create all this content that kind of has a a pretty small lifespan in the scheme of things that, you know, obviously a blog post can be found years and years into the future, but that doesn't happen very often. That, yeah, take take the old stuff and and rework it because it's still good stuff. (laughs) And people aren't always going to have seen all of it so yeah definitely rework the old examples and things into what you're doing mm-hmm. yeah great I have a question yeah keeping me and my creative practice in mind how do you think or do you have a suggestion how can I uh, separate my passion projects from the income generating projects I know that creativity coaching is one of the um, things that I really enjoy doing and I want it to be on the side of income generating (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, project. And I have been working on quite a lot of (laughs) new ideas and um, I'm struggling to put them in the list of either is it the income generating project project, or should I just keep it a passion project? Because in the beginning, when I was trying to set up this um, this whole business, this whole whole blog, I consciously decided to not put my art under the income generating section because I don't know, I don't like putting the pressure of making yeah. money on my art. Yeah, it is kind of precious to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and so, what kind of projects are, is it that you're kind of? you're not sure about like do you ever have one you're like that's definitely not income generating and you're kind of happy with that and then there are there are others that you're you're not sure about right so I can give you the example of my 100 day painting project I did one last year and after being done with it they're sitting on my <laughs> on my storage shelf so I was wondering you know if I can somehow make the shift in my mindset yeah <laughs> And so to turn, even though the painting is usually not income generating, it's saying, oh, should this actual, all these hundred pieces of paper, should these be income generating? Yeah. Mm. And what's stopping you? The same thing, because um, 
I think it's, uh, I'm running in circles here, but uh, <laughs> when I decided to do that 100-day project, I decided uh, that way because I wanted to experiment with painting and different colors, different mediums, different subjects and everything. So all of those paintings aren't really related to each other. Mm-hmm. And when I see, this, these are the examples that I've seen, I've seen collections of work on Instagram or on different artists' websites, and they all kind of go together and they they appear as as their own personal style <laughs> and mine are quite experimental and that's why i wonder if it they are if i am ready to do it to sell it or say that this is my style mm. see this is interesting because i thought it was that what you're going to kind of come around to was that it was the rule that you'd set yourself that painting isn't income generating but i don't think that's actually what the issue here is it's it sounds like you're you're pretty up for selling them but you're worried that they don't look like other people's collections of work and that whether that represents you as an artist in the way you want to be represented and so i think that that's quite interesting because if you're thinking that painting is never going to be income generating that shouldn't really matter, right? Right. So maybe that's something to start thinking about a little bit of, is do I one day want to have painting as an income generating stream? And that, that's just something to maybe wrestle with slightly. What I would say about the 100 day project is actually that feels like it, it fits into your brand so much more than having a perfectly consistent collection of work because it's... And like I said, it stands out all the better for being different. So if your whole ethos and purpose is about being multi-passionate, doing experiments, um, following your curiosity, then having a collection of 100 completely different pieces of work, that's the story. You know, that's the hook. That's what's interesting above and beyond, oh, look at all these 100 pieces of of work that all look kind of the same <laughs> you you can you can create a story for each one and people can go on and be like this is amazing i hate that one but this one i love you know and they it, it creates a little bit of excitement around it i mean for me personally as a consumer that's the sort of thing that i would be interested in seeing because it keeps you you're kind of like oh i wonder what the next one's going to be like because it's so different rather than you know you see someone's work and you're like yeah, well, but I can I can tell from this one I'm not going to like any of them. So you just kind of disengage. <laughs> Whereas if, when it's when they're all different, there is that kind of curiosity there. And so I think with this example, I I feel like it's again a little bit of your. It doesn't look like everyone else is, so maybe it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's why I said I I feel like I'm running in circles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually, that what it is. For for the fact that it's different to everybody else's, that's what that's what makes it special, um, and to really lean into that. And I think that this is something obviously that's coming up again and again for you, and that's perhaps something to run through as you're kind of making decisions and having thoughts about things, is to have within that maybe a, a little post-it note on your computer or in your journal or whatever you like to do is, you know, a, is what I think about this because of what other people are doing and just always run it through that check of being like oh why do I feel like I can't do this and then as you've talked through to me saying oh well other people doing that and they're like as soon as other people comes into your head then you know that's a little red flag 
and to to trust your gut instinct with it because your gut instinct was I want to sell this work and then it was the outside stuff that was kind of saying oh but it doesn't look like this it doesn't look like that and then be like okay well let me just forget about those stuff and go back to the gut instinct and that's because it was aligned with my purpose and what I do and that's what that's what brings the story oh that's such a relief (laughs) to hear you say that Yeah, I, it may because that's the thing. It was when you were talking through. I was kind of like, well, yeah, this is absolutely a hundred percent aligned with everything that you stand for and makes total sense from you as a an isolated brand. And yet, it's it's different to everybody else. But if it was the same as everybody else, what would be the point in you doing it? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's a, for you. It's a little bit of self trust, a self trust practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this reminds me I chose embrace to be my word of fear and the sentence that I wrote was all the answers I seek are within me yes. <laughs> just to remind myself that you know this is something I want to be working towards yeah absolutely and we we do we we really uh, something I remind myself of as well because we always want to externalize the answers I mean, whenever I have writer's block I always my first thing is to go and seek out other people's writing. And, you know, that never, that, and I never get good ideas from it. <laughs> Whereas actually by just actually thinking about my own situation and what's going on and all that, that's where the ideas, they then start to rise up from. So another thing to put on a post-it note is the answers are inside you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, do we have a little bit of a kind of way forward from this in just in terms of really, I think for you, my biggest takeaway is to own what you do and be unapologetic about it and to really think about what that target client needs to see. So I think it's twofold. It's the the self-trust piece and just kind of holding the line and being like, nope, this is my brand. This is my purpose. And I'm I'm doing it. And then also as part of that, thinking, okay, what does this customer need to see? What are their doubts? What's stopping them from hiring me? And how can I show that consistently through every piece of content that I can put out? How can I chip away at those doubts a little bit? Right. Yeah. How does that feel? That's so good. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah, because it's one of those things. Is, I mean, I've said two sentences there. I'm like, it's easy, um, but it is. It is all wrapped up in in all those different elements where you think, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. And it's it's owning it. Just re- step into your power is what I want to say to you because I feel like you probably dip your toe into your power and then you're like, oh, I don't know. But yeah, it's really kind of stepping into it and being like, yeah, this is this is it, and I'm really going for it. Right, yeah, I am going for it. <laughs> Good. Did you have any other questions or anything that's come up since we've been talking or are you feeling pretty read up and ready to go? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm good. Good. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's, yeah, keep, give yourself some mantras to keep um, keep yourself aligned and in touch with yourself and talk to yourself more than you look at other people, I think. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, here. So I've got one last question for you, which is how do you grow a soul in your work and life? I want to say that by staying open to 
growth, possibility, and change. And by tuning in, listening to my intuition, and by continue to following my curiosities. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, keep listening to that intuition. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So Hira, where can people come and find you online and connect with you? You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Hira S. Ahmed. It's spelled H-I-R-A-S-A-H-M-E-D. Or you can listen to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It's called Living Your Truth. And uh, you can sign up to my newsletter. I write about every other Sunday. And I share personal stories, lessons that I'm learning. Or you can check out my um, work and services over on my website. It's herasamad.com. Yeah, and these are all great ways to stay up to date and in touch. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks so much, Hira. Thank you so much, Kate. Any links we mentioned in this episode will be on my website at simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me and Hira on Instagram. I'm at simpleandseason and she is at Hira S. Ahmed. As always, if you think you have a friend who would really benefit from listening to this conversation, please do send them the link to the episode and share where you're listening online too. And until next time, I hope you grow a soul.